Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Welcome to My Two Cents Podcast, Episode 6, which is entitled... It's a new dawn, it's a new day. That was from Nina Simone off her song, Feeling Good. I use that because, well, we're in a new time now of presidency, and it is technically a new day. And and the reason why I chose Nina Simone's Feeling Good was because also this, I've heard a I heard it a lot on commercials, and I always heard that one part, and I kind of knew that I was going to use it one day on my podcast episodes and titles, so I decided to use it now because, well, the election just, well, not the election, but the inauguration just happened, so I think that was a perfect time slot to use it. Now, before I get into the inauguration uh, highlights, let me mention this. Uh, we lost two legends in separate fields this week. The first legend that we did lose was baseball legend Hank Aaron. Um, He died at the age of 86. He played 23 seasons in MLB. Um, I'm not really a baseball guy, but I do respect that he um, held the home run record in for more than 30 years. And the home run record was 755 home runs. Um, he beat uh, Babe Ruth's home run, home run record, which was 714. Hank Aaron was a black man, and he had to deal with a whole lot of issues back in the day when baseball was concerned. So I do give respect to Hank Aaron. Uh, rest in peace to Hank Aaron. And we just lost Larry King, who was a broadcaster, well, a legendary talk show host. He was 87. Um, no cause of death has been determined for uh, Hank Aaron or Larry King at the moment, but Larry King was the host of Larry King Live on CNN for over 25 years. Uh, he <laughs> retired in 2010 after taping more than 6,000 episodes of the show. That's a lot of episodes, I'm not going to lie. Oh yeah, and this information is coming from CNN.com itself. So rest in peace to those two legends in their respective fields. Now before I also get to the inauguration, this last thing before I get to it. To anybody that's listening to this from CCU, I'm glad you're listening. I hope to get some feedback from you when I see you guys in class um, on Monday and Tuesday. And throughout the rest of the week, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Let's get on this ride. CCU so far in my classes have been easy. I mean, it's the first week, so I mean, it's going to be easy. We're going to do nothing. We did nothing but introductions, and my professors were laying out what they expect of us this upcoming semester. And that's about it. We're really going to get into our work, work like this coming week. And I expect nothing less of some difficulty, but I am able, I am willing and able uh, to get the job done. Now let's get to the highlights of the inauguration. First and foremost, I didn't 
see the inauguration live. I caught the inauguration at the end of Joe Biden talking, so I had to watch the replay of the inauguration. Thank God my brother was able to record it. And whatever, the first thing I noticed about the inauguration was I thought that Kamala Harris was going to be able to give a speech to the American people. I didn't know she was just going to be sworn in and that was it. I thought she was going to say at least, I'm planning to do this for the American people. Thank God for the American people. I love the American people. Something of that nature, of that magnitude on that big stage that they're in. That's one. And two, Biden's whole speech, well, the gist of it was that he was going to be a president to all. He wants everybody to come together and just realize that there's no such thing as Dem- Democrats and Republicans. We are all one people. It doesn't matter where you might get your news source from. We are all together as one. That's important to say in this times that we are living in. It's important. People are still going to say the election was rigged. The election uh, votes doesn't count because this or that and such and such. I really don't care. I really don't pay attention that much to politics. I don't. But what I will say is this. I'm going to give Biden a chance on this. I'm going to see what he has in store for the American people, what he's going to do for the American people. If anything, that's what everybody should look forward to. What's he going to do for you? What's he going to do for us as the American people? His bosses, if you will, in the sense of the president is supposed to be the biggest um, servant to the American people. He's supposed to listen to us and cater to our needs. That is what I'm going to be looking for in this presidency. I didn't look forward to that in the Trump presidency because I knew what it was all about. I knew that he was there to be there it was nothing but a backstay, a backdoor handshake between <laughs> Hillary Clinton and Trump. Matter of fact, I'm going to break two into this now. I've been teasing this for about a couple episodes now, or I think I've been teasing this. My conspiracy theory for the last election that we were in, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump's um, election was, it was nothing but a big thing trying to get Hillary Clinton in to be the first woman president because she was had the most credentials, I believe, throughout all presidents or president-elects uh, in the past years. She served a lot of years in Washington. She was the uh, wife of a former president. So she was able to see all the laws, she was able to see the backstaging, how a president should act, quote-unquote, Bill. We all know what Bill did. But she was able to see front row and see what a president is supposed to do. She was able to see how a president is supposed to act. She knows how a president is supposed to act. She spent all these years in Washington, all these years in politics. 
I mean, she was so highly credential. And Trump coming out of left field out of nowhere, being the Republicans' big, like, dude for them. That, to me, was odd. But I digress with that. Trump won the presidency. That was odd to me again. And like I said in my last episode, it was going to be doomsday for people because they didn't know what to expect. Somebody that didn't have any political um, aspirations in his pastime. Nothing in his past, nothing in his resume that everybody in America has to have to even get a job in the destined job that you want. He had no political background in his resume and he was able to get the job. Somebody pulled a couple strings and got him to be president. Hillary Clinton wasn't happy because I believe there was a deal between her and Donald Trump because those two families were and still are friends to this day. It's not said out loud, but it's the truth. I remember a couple years ago on the campaign trail or after the presidency, one of the two, Hillary Clinton's daughter came out and she talked on the talk show. And she mentioned how she is friends with one of Trump's daughters. Now, I have a question for you guys out there that have friends. I have associates. I don't have friends' friends, but I have associates. No disrespect to people that have friends. But let me get back to my point. You have a friend, right? Their parent is berating your parent to anybody that will listen. You will tell your friend, hey, yo, tell your parent to stop saying all this type of stuff about my parent, because if not, we're going to have a problem. And your parent, no, and your friend's parent doesn't stop it. Are you still going to be friends with that person because their parent is berating your parent and you told your friend, Ayo, help, not help, but stop your parent from talking smack about my parent. That's not cool. Seriously, I want you to stop this right now and just think about it and let that marinate. Would you still be friends with that person? You might say to yourself, yeah, I'll still be friends with them. I mean, their parent is not an indication or has anything to do with them. You're right in theory. But in reality, if you have a friend that you know for years, because all these high rich celebrity, political, styling people know each other for years. And you guys just so happen, your parents so happen to just run and try to go after each other for the exact same spot. That's going to be a problem. That damages, that damage friendships. But she's still friends with 
Trump's daughter right now. I couldn't be friends with somebody because their parent did something so shysty that hurt my parent. I couldn't do it. But that's just a little part of my theory. Whenever Trump took office, Trump didn't want to be in the White House. That's on record. You could look at everything. You can research this. It's, it's out there. Trump didn't want to be in the White House. Trump had a big old straight up suite in one of his hotels. When you look into all the pictures of what his suite or condo, whatever you want to call it, looks like, and you compare it to the White House, there's a problem. It was a couple months before Melania or her or, or their son even got to the White House because he didn't because he didn't want to be there. Come on. When every parent, not parent, but when every president that came before Trump had children, they came along with the parent as soon as the parent got to the White House. Not Trump's though. It took some time because they're going to say the kid was in school and it takes some time for him to change papers over. Fine deal, whatever. But here's the deal. It doesn't take that long to change some papers over to get to a new school. Especially after you won the presidency and you knew that you won it and it took a couple months before you get signed in to be the actual president. You're the president-elect. It takes a couple months before you actually become the president and sworn in as president. You mean to tell me they didn't have enough time to find schools for Barron or find some type of tutor for Barron in Washington, D.C.? Seriously, think about it. I can tell you right now. You give me a week and you tell me, hey, yo, Gerald, you got three weeks to find a new college. I guarantee I can find you one. I guarantee I can find myself one. I guarantee I could probably get myself in to that college. That can be done. And that's a college. Baron looked like he came into what? Middle school? Or, yeah, middle, middle school to beginning of high school, maybe. I didn't check his age. Don't really care, but I'm just giving you guys the theory here. Trump didn't want to be there, but he is not a quitter. He was not going to quit being the president. He was not going to quit. It's not in his DNA to quit. Yes, he's had a whole lot of foreclosures, but does that mean that he quit? No, he continued to go until the wheels ran off. And that's exactly what happened. This whole thing was nothing but a backstage handshake dealing between Hillary and Trump. Hillary should have won. Those two had a business agreement shake on it, but something happened that tore their deal apart and it went completely off the rails. I don't know how their whole thing is now. They're probably friends now they probably talked about say how did this thing go right behind closed doors but that's just my theory i could be completely off base with it but that's just my thing that i've been sitting on for the last four years since he won because i've been really thinking about it and going over and over and over but hey 
Biden is the new president. Kamala, Kamala Harris, excuse me, is the new vice president. Her husband is the first, uh, sir, I believe that's what his title is. But that's the deal now. Trump left in the beginning of that morning of inauguration. He left and he went to Maryland to the Joint Base Andrews to give his final speech as the president. This is coming from BBC News. They are giving highlights of what he said at his speech. And it's read, I wish the new administration good luck and great success. I think they will have great success. They had the foundation to do something really spectacular. Mr. Trump added, goodbye, we love you, we'll be back in some form. Have a good life, we will see you soon. He also paid tribute to his vice president, Mike Pence, who was not at Andrews, having chosen to attend the inauguration ceremony instead. It also read Trump was the first president, wasn't, well, excuse me, Trump will be the first president not to attend his successor's inauguration since Andrew Jackson snubbed Ulysses S. Grant in 1869. 1869, now, I did the calculations on it. That is 152 years from this year to that year, from past. Do you not know how much Things have changed since 152 years ago. We've gotten technology. We've gotten televisions. We've gotten, well, cars that run on gas and cars that run on electricity. We've gotten smart cell phones. I mean, we have gotten a whole lot of things and a whole lot of laws and mandates have been changing since 1869. And he decided not to show up. Now, I respect that he didn't want to show up because personally, he didn't care that Biden won. I can respect it. That's like that's like not showing up to somebody's birthday party or somebody's event that you that you particularly don't care about. I can respect it. Everybody might be hating on it. You can hate, but I respect it. Why cramp everybody's style and be that awkward sore thumb at a at an event that nobody really wants you at if we're really honest so i respected that trump didn't want to be there i can also respect this he didn't break this tradition of leaving a note for the successor president he continued that tradition i don't know what he wrote on wrote to biden Personally, I am not going to lie to you guys. I think they'd be talking some mad trash <laughs> to the next president that goes up in there, especially Trump. Trump be saying mad trash. So you can imagine what his letter said to Biden. I would love to read that. I would love to honestly have read that letter. But I digress. He did read that letter. No, not read the letter. He did leave the letter for Biden. So I respect it. Let me get down to something that I found awkward. After I seen the inauguration, oh, and before I get to the awkward thing is, and um, we had Amanda, I'm going to butcher the last name, Gorman. I hope that was right. 
She is the youngest person to give the inaugurational reading. She read her poetry piece called The Hill We Climb. The gist of that poem is calling for unity and justice. And as it looks at the nation's past and looking towards its future. She is a recent Harvard graduate. At the age of 22, she is giving this poem. And might I add, she is a black woman. That is inspiring to a lot of women in general. And more when you get down to it, specifically black little girls. Right now, this is the time and era for black little girls to look at their idols and see that you can do anything. This is almost like 2008 when Barack Obama won. Whenever I, as a black little, not little, but black semi-teenager at that time, was able to see Barack Obama, a black man, go into office. That was something that I didn't know what what happened in my time life. Because when you look at the time frame of all the presidents before that, it was nothing but white, 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 white. And then Barack comes in and he wins presidency. That was different. And I don't care what nobody says. That was different for everybody. It made the black community so excited to see what would happen. And yes, people will have differing of opinions of Barack being in office of how he did in as president. I get again, I'm going to say it again. I don't pay attention to it. I don't because politics is not for the minorities. We have to put our foot more into politics so it can be for us. But yet again, it was inspiring, not expiring, but inspiring to see a black man as president in 2008 for a young black man or black child. And now in the year of 2021, black little girls are having their turn. It's coming close, black 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 women. It's coming close. You guys are almost at the top peak. Believe me, you guys right now have the vice president, Kamala Harris. Yes, I nailed it. As the VP to Joe Biden. I'm not wishing no harm upon Joe. Let's see how long his life can literally last. I'm not trying to wish harm. I'm not. But when you look at the health and everything else of Biden, how long does he truly have? Because now he got a lot more stress. And usually when you take the office of president, you gain to look a whole lot older as those times go by as president. I'm just saying I'm not sure how long Biden can last as president, especially in his health. And his age and everything else, when you really look at it. So, black women, your time might be approaching sooner than you think for Kamala Harris to be the next president. Because, as you know, once the president unfortunately kicks the bucket, 
and they're still in their term, the vice president will take over. So we might see Kamala Harris taking over as president sooner than later. I'm just saying that's just my opinion yet again. This is my two cents of the podcast, so I'm just throwing it out there. Anyway, get it back to it. Um, I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to tell you something. If you look back to when this is after the whole Biden has given the speech, Amanda has given her um, inaugurational reading, the pastor given his benediction. This is after every everything. Mike Pence, the cam, not Mike Pence, but the cameras of every news station is shooting up on every important person there. And a lot of the camera frames get shot at Mike Pence. It could turn to Barack, Bill, Mike Pence. And then it goes back to somebody speaking and then it hits Mike Pence. Or it can just be uh, somebody now, after somebody gets done speaking, is transitioning somebody else. It could be important person, important person, Mike Pence. A lot of the camera work was showing you Mike Pence to remind the American people your last president decided not to show up, but his right-hand man decided to represent him on his last official act as president and as power is being changed from one person to another. That's what those camera angles represented. I just looked at it and I found it funny. That's what I took from that. And that's what that those camera angles meant. Donald Trump isn't here. We have George W. Bush Jr. We have Barack Obama. We have Bill Clinton. And now we have Joe Biden. But we don't have number 45 there to basically show unity to the American people. But we have his right-hand man. That's funny to me. Because we, as the American people, we all know that Trump doesn't like Biden throughout this whole thing. He didn't want to be there. We got the memo. But the media agenda wanted to just shove it down in everybody's face, into the Trump supporters' face. Ayo, your guy isn't here, but your right-hand man is here. Look at the guy. Look at what type of guy you guys elected in four years ago. That's what that. That's what those camera angles were showing. Those were, that is what those camera angles were representing. <laughs> Next thing I want to reference is after Mike Pence and his wife were getting into their vehicle, Kamala Harris and her husband were on the Capitol steps. I was watching this on ABC. ABC's camera shots of Mike Pence and his wife entering their car while Kamala Harris and her husband's on the Capitol steps. Those camera shots look like somebody or something was going to happen to either Pence's family in that vehicle or Kamala and her husband on the steps. I'm not going to lie. That looked like a movie-style 
camera cuts every time you will see from this camera angle to that camera angle to that camera angle. I'm not going to lie. I said a quick little prayer to make sure that Pence's family would be all right in that car, that it didn't blow up because that was like some Godfather or no, not Godfather. Sorry. Casino style thing. If you remember Casino, Robert De Niro's character almost blew up in the car. Sorry for the spoilers. I mean, if you haven't seen it, I mean, come on, it's been years. It shows up so many times on <laughs> channels, on any channel. But anyway, getting back to the point. It was frightening to me. And I talked to, yet again, my mom, because like a day later, no, no, later in the day, I talked to her. And me and her both had the exact same idea. Like, it was dramatic. The way they were keep cutting from one camera shot to another camera shot to the next camera shot. Showing Pence's family in the car, Kamala and her husband waving at them and waiting for their car to just go and drive off. And as their car was driving off, I continuously watched like, oh boy, I hope it doesn't blow up. I hope it doesn't blow up. I hope it doesn't blow up. And when it didn't blow up, I was happy. And then I looked and I was hoping, okay, hope nothing happens to Kamala. Hope nothing happens to her (laughs) husband. Hope nothing happens to them right there on the step. Nothing happened to them. So yet again, thank God, whoever was doing those camera shots really deserve a raise because they made you think that something was going to happen to them. I know it did for me and it did for my mother. So I wonder how many other Americans saw saw that moment and just wondered, was something going to happen at that exact moment? See... And the inauguration also gave us quite a few memes, ladies and gentlemen. Now, you might ask me, what do you mean by memes? What kind of memes did they give us? But some of you guys already know. They gave us the the Bernie Sanders meme in the chair. I'm not going to lie to you. He looks spicy. Spicy is a street slang word for he looks extra he looks like he is up to something he looks like bad intentions that is spicy ladies and gentlemen that's your free word of street slang spicy now getting back to it he looks spicy his legs are crossed his arms are crossed and if you look more into that his face he looks and has a squinty eyes and you can just imagine in his head he is saying that was supposed to be me. It was supposed to be my time. And people were having a ball with this on social media. I would see that photo of him in a chair and everything from him in a chair at a soccer game with around soccer moms, um, him in a art gala, him seated in an art gala, him seated at a... Um, place where people usually sell merchandise at a concert or sporting event or him sitting at a kitchen table. I mean, there's so many memes of him that people did of that one photo. It's great. Another meme that people looked that people were able to grab was Joe Biden's big Bible. And I'm not going to lie to you. That Bible is thick. I mean, extremely thick. I didn't know this, but 
that Bible has been in his family since 1893. That's a long time. And I'm not going to lie to you, since 1893, that Bible looks good. It looks good. But people were saying that the that his Bible reminded them of the Cheesecake Factory's uh, menus. I've never been to the Cheesecake Factory, but if that's how their menus looks, my God, that's, uh, how do you guys go through it? That's a, that's a huge Bible. Man, more power to him. Oh, yeah, and he used that Bible whenever he was sworn in as U.S. Senator and Vice President, but just him being sworn in as President, I guarantee we all, not we all, but people were able to look at it and capture the moment more by just seeing how thick that Bible was. And last but certainly not least, Lady Gaga's large gold brooch. It was a brooch of a dove carrying an olive branch. I'm not going to lie to you. That was one thing I really didn't pay attention to. I saw the brooch. I was like, oh, okay. That's not for me. I'm not too much into fashion anyway. But um, I just took it as what it is. Like, okay, that's a bird. All right, cool, fine. But people were comparing it to the Mockingjay pen. If you watch or read the Hunger Games books, you understand exactly what it was. People were just comparing it directly just to the Mockingjay pen. And if you look up in Twitter or on Facebook or any type of social media, you will just see so many creative memes of the inauguration uh, pictures. People will just clip out things or dub things of the inauguration. I've seen dubbed Voices of people talking about what was on Lady Gaga's, uh, what the brooch was. People just making, laughing about it. I mean, and even celebrities taking on, celebrities took it on the chin. They laughed about it. Lady Gaga's laughed about it. I mean, come on. You got to know what you're wearing whenever you go up to a big style, big style ceremony like that. Let me say this too. I thought after the whole, uh, Riot or insurrection is just the word that's been labeled now for it instead of riot. I I'm a I'm a breakdown to that next week. Um I thought the I thought the inauguration should be inside the White House. What other way to show the rest of the world that this is the most powerful position in the world than to be sworn into the White House, the Oval Office, if you will. That's the most powerful office in the world. At least for us Americans. That is legitimately is the most powerful office in the world, and they decide not to do that. But instead, be around other people, wearing a mask, being around other celebrities so they can sing their songs and even a little bit of people at the bottom in their chairs and just to have the scenery and um I don't know what how what the big word is for it, but just the illustration. There it is. The illustration of something big. You have it at the Capitol. That's not I wouldn't have thought at the Capitol personally. 
I always thought since after the ride, I've been thinking, why not have it at the White House? Why not do it inside the Oval Office? It just makes a lot of more sense to me, at least. But yet again, I digress. I'm glad nobody was hurt. I'm glad all the people that did attend were able to see history being made with the first black and Asian woman in <laughs> vice president position. It's it's an, like my title has. It's a new day, a new dawn. It's just something unreal. And speaking of unreal, this is something that I personally found hilarious. Now, if you guys have been paying attention, Donald Trump has been backed by a far right group called the Proud Boys. And this is coming from the Seattle Times, this information I'm about to give you. The Proud Boys have now denounced Donald Trump on Monday. This is coming from Seattle News. In a November 8th post in a private channel of messaging app Telegram, the group urged its followers to attend protests against an election that it said had a fraudulent stolen, had been fraudulently stolen from Trump. Hail Emperor Trump, the Proud Boys wrote. But by this week, the group's attitude toward Trump had changed. One wrote, one Proud Boy member wrote, Trump will go down as a total failure in the Telegram channel on Monday. As Trump departed the White House on Wednesday, the Proud Boys, once among his supporters, had also started leaving his side. In dozens of conversations on social media sites like Gab and Telegram, members of the group have been calling Trump a shield and extraordinarily Week, according to messages reviewed by the New York Times. They have also urged supporters to stop attending rallies and protests held for Trump or the Republican Party. It continues. On January 6th, some Proud Boy members stormed the United States Capitol. But since then, discontent with Trump, who later condemned the violence, has boiled over. On social media, Proud Boy's participants have complained about his willingness to leave office and said his this approval of the Capitol rampage was an act of betrayal, and Trump cut off on Facebook and Twitter has been unable to talk directly to them to soothe their concerns or issue new rallying cries. Now, yet again, I'm not a politician. I am not a man that looks so much into politics, but you just lost your biggest supporters backing you throughout this time. And I'm not talking about Trump losing the Proud Boys. I'm talking about the Proud Boys losing Trump. <laughs> That's funny. Come on, guys. Come on. If anybody has listened to this podcast is a Proud Boy, let me just give you guys a quick, quick refresher course. You guys might come from different areas and different walks of life, and you guys come together for one thing i'm trying to use my words right because what i'm trying to say basically is this trump is in a different class than every member of the proud boys 
That's the most plain Jane way, black and white, I can say it. Trump is a millionaire, almost billionaire. He doesn't care. He never cared. He was using you. Period. That is black and white. If you can't understand that, I'm going to try it in a different way, okay? Let's say the principal is looking after... Mm, nope, the principal is using the football team. Yep, there, here we go, here we go. The principal is gaining all this publicity because the football team keep winning, right? Football team keep winning, football team keep winning. The president is not the president, but the principal is saying, oh my God, I can't believe this team is the greatest team of all time. I love this team. I love this team. Blah, blah, blah. Now, the football players get into a championship game. They lose, and I mean they lose bad. And now the president, not the president, but the principal comes out and says, God, they got beat horribly. I expected more out of them. And that was a complete shame of this school. I'm ashamed of them. The football players are going to look at the principal and they are going to have some harsh words to say to the principal because they have been making this school look good. And the principal has been taking all the credit and has been championing them and saying great things about them and such and such and much and much. And they are going to look at the principal as a big, gigantic traitor, which a lot of proud boys are looking at Trump because Trump is denouncing them after they have been his backers for all this time as he was president. He used you guys. He never truly needed you guys, but since you guys were willing and ready to follow him into the trenches of war, he led you there and he let you guys go down in flames. That's as plain as I can say it. And now you guys see it. And now you guys are saying, screw him. We're done. And now you guys are completely denouncing the Republican Party. Look, I don't divulge. I don't dive more into this. I don't care about it. I'm just going to pick at this because it's funny. It's funny to me. I don't pay attention to a whole lot of things, but when I do pay attention to certain things, it has my attention. And this had my attention because how how did you guys think Trump was really for you guys? When you stop and really look back at this, you're going to say to yourself, how did we fall into the trap of Trump being for us? I'm going to let you guys ponder on that one. Figure that out amongst yourselves. Just remember this. Trump never cared about you guys. He only cared about himself and about the bottom dollar. Because I'll say it again. He is a businessman. 
the mighty dollar rules all for businessmen and women. Not to just be subjected to women, men, but women too. When you're as high and mighty in the business world as Trump or any of these heiresses or female bosses that created a business from the ground up or inherited it, you only care about the mighty dollar. No more, none less. So let that be a learning lesson for uh, Proud Boys and anybody else that backs Trump. He cares about the mighty dollar. He doesn't care about you. It's okay. Just take this on the chin and learn from it. Now that's all for my inauguration news. I'm about to get into professional wrestling news. As now, WrestleMania 37, which will be in the Buccaneers football stadium on two nights. WWE are aiming to have 30,000 fans attend in both nights. And this is coming from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. As it reads, WWE were planning on having upwards of 25,000 fans on each night of the latest edition of the show shows. Wrestling Observer Newsletters have now stated that the plan as of this moment is to allow 30,000 people into Raymond James Stadium on both nights. That's crazy in a sense because when you think about a stadium, it's huge. A football stadium is huge. You are going to have a lot of people there. You're going to have people from all over the world because people are not trying, people are not going to miss WrestleMania. There's a large group of professional wrestling fans that like to visit professional wrestling when they can. And especially during WrestleMania week is usually a whole type gigantic week of whatever city or state, but the state, the city within the state holds WrestleMania. They get a big boost in tourism. They get a big boost in uh, restaurant feeding. I mean, just that whole city gives a whole big boost of money just constantly just flowing it and flowing into that city. So when WrestleMania comes in that whole week for that city, that place gets buku dollars because fans are going to be going into hotels. Fans are going to be going out and trying to meet superstars at this place and that place and everywhere else. That is the whole WrestleMania week experience. And plus you got the Mondays after WrestleMania, which is the raw after WrestleMania, which a lot of craziness usually happens and fans usually stay one more extra night just to see it. So just to, just to have 30,000 people ideally into a football stadium for this one show on both nights is going to be huge for wrestling. I mean, the Super Bowl will be at that stadium on February the 7th. Um, that's kind of nuts, but WWE is going to be looking at them to see how they take care of that problem. If people at the Super Bowl are able to go in there and all come out 
COVID free. WWE is going to look at the precaution area and make sure and see exactly how they can copy that to make sure people are safe for that two nights instead of just one single night like the Super Bowl has. The Wrestle WrestleMania is a big thing in general. WrestleMania is bigger than some sporting events. If we're going to be honest with it, they bring in a whole lot of numbers. They bring in a whole lot of money. It's just different. Vince McMahon is going to be looking at this. His whole analytics team is going to be looking at it. Just the whole world is going to be looking at WrestleMania. Um, It's different because I'm looking at the aspects of, okay, you get 30,000 people into that stadium for both nights. Let's just take it there. Those numbers are going to be fudged because I don't believe you're putting 30,000 fans in there. I believe that 30,000 is going to be, okay, you got a portion that's going to be fans buying tickets, and then you got a portion that's going to be people or vendors selling their uh, food and merchandise in the stadium for WWE and the stadium people selling like the popcorn and the beer and all these other things there. And then you got the stage hands. They got to build this elaborate stage set up for the wrestlers to come down the ramp and the big old stage and the pyrotechnics and the ring crew. They got to set up the rings and set up the bear the barricade and then set up the rain chairs for the fans to sit in. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that go into just being a stagehand for this type of big event. And then you got the performers themselves. You got the wrestlers on these both nights that have to wrestle and go out there. And they, this will be their first time hearing fans in a year. So they're going to be excited. They're going to try to slap hands with fans. I mean, by God, this is going to be astronomical. This is going to be huge because if professional wrestling fans are going to be able to attend this type of thing, football players and basketball players are going to look at this and wonder, okay, why can we not have our fans into these stadiums if uh, WrestleMania can do that? And also, these athletes will be slapping hands and berating these fans Berating is whenever these guys get into their characters and tell the fans to shut up and all these type of things. But going back to my diatribe, it's going to be different. NFL and the NBA will definitely be looking at this as well to see how they can probably, whenever their next season happens, they can get more fans in to feed off that energy off that the fans give every sports team to wield their uh, favorite sports team to win. This is going to be huge. That's why I'm saying WrestleMania is going to be huge in more than one way. It's not just going to be huge for the fans. It's going to be huge for the wrestlers. It's going to be huge for just sports and entertainment itself. So if that's the case, if they really can get 30,000 fans slash people into this arena. It's going to be huge. The whole world is going to be paying attention. And personally. I can't wait for it. And now let me get into. Um, 
Impact Wrestling Hard to Kill results. I said last week on this episode that I would be telling you who won uh, from Hard to Kill, and this is what happened. Decay, the team of Rosemary and Crazy Steve defeated Tennille Dashwood and Caleb. The second match was Violence by Design, which is Eric Young, Cody Diener, and Joe Doring defeating Cousin Jake, Rhino, and Tommy Dreamer in an old-school rule six-man tag team match. And basically what that is, is that anything goes, you can hit people with chairs, hit people with kendo sticks, put them through tables. That's old school, so you can do anything you want. The four, the third match was Fire and Flavor, which that's the team name of Kara Hogan and Tasha Steeles defeating Havoc and Nevea for the Impact Knockouts Tag Team Championship. The fourth match was Matt Cardona, formerly known as Zack Ryder in WWE, defeating Ace Austin by disqualification because Ace Austin's big heavy hitter, Madman Fulton, came in and hit Matt Cardona, but Matt Cardona was able to beat down both Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. The fifth match of the night was Manic defeating Chris Bay and Rajit Raju for the Impact X Division Championship, which basically means that Manic was a champion coming in and he came and he was still the champion going out of that match. The sixth match was Deanna Peraza retaining her her Impact's Knockouts Championship against Taya Valkyrie, and she made Taya Valkyrie submit. The Seventh match was a cinematic match. What that basically means is it was special effects. It was pre-recorded. And this match was basically stupid. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. It was the Karate Man defeating Ethan Page. And this match was Ethan Page being the Karate Man, beating up himself. It was stupid. And I'll get back to that after this. I'll get back to something with Ethan Page after this. The eighth match was Eddie Edwards defeating Sammy Callahan in Bob Wire Massacre. It was a good match. Eddie Edwards getting the pin. It it should end their feud, at least for now. And the ninth match, the big main event, which the whole wrestling world really was paying attention to, was Kenny Omega, the AEW World Champion, and the Good Brothers, the Impact Tag Team Champions, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, defeating... Impact Wrestling's World Heavyweight Champion, Rich Swan and his tag partners, Chris Saban and Moose. It was a great six-man match. It was nothing but spectacular, high-flying moves, impactful moves, just movement left and right, bang, 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 just getting it, getting it, getting out. It was, it was a great match. If you can see it on YouTube, I would suggest looking at it. If you can't, look at the highlights. It's perfect. And now, getting to the news of Ethan Page. Ethan Page is now a free agent. He can go to any um, wrestling company that wants to hire him. He's a great professional wrestler, but he did not sign a new contract with Impact Wrestling. As a matter of fact, he was a, he was upset, and he tweeted out that he was upset that the Karate Man versus Ethan Page match was so poorly edited and treated as a joke. He knew this whole thing was going to be a joke, but he tried to 
take this as serious as he could. And he said that if he could take this seriously, maybe the fans can try to take this serious. He knew this whole thing was hokey and jokish, but he wanted it to be edited and released um, seriously. But if you look at the highlights of it, it's not edited right. It's edited poorly. And I would be upset too if I was Ethan Page personally. You put your trust into this company that you didn't sign with but as one last act of goodwill, you thought they would at least do you right on your way out. But that didn't happen. And Ethan Page did tweet it out, an apology to his fans because um, Impact did edit it poorly. But he does have a better version of this match edited on his uh, YouTube channel. So if you want to go look at it, go ahead and do it. Now, continuing on with Impact Wrestling, on this Tuesday of Impact Wrestling, it opened up with Don Callis telling the people at home that him and Kenny Omega were leaving for a while, but they're going to take care of business in Jacksonville. That is code for AEW. And later in the night, you will see the Good Brothers in a segment. They come out in the middle of the ring. They talk about how at Hard to Kill, they had a great match. And with Kenny Omega, but it's the same thing to, with everybody that steps in the ring with them. It's a magic killer, and then a one, two, three, and then a two sweet that ends the rest of the night. But as soon as he was about to end with two sweet, Chris Saban's music hits. He comes out and says that him and his partner, Alex Shelley, never lost the tag team titles. They never were pinned for the tag team titles, so they want a rematch. But he's not dick. Alex Shelley's not there. And Doc Gallows comes out. Well, he says out of his mouth that that is a great point, but you don't have your tag partner here. So you need to find a tag partner and go to the back of the line. Chris Saban retorts with, I do have a tag partner. Out comes James Storm. James Storm starts giving the good brother the business on the mic, and he's about to end it with his catchphrase. But then Matt Hardy comes out with, private party private party is a tag team in aew so this is now furthering the storyline of aew wrestlers jumping over to impact wrestling to at least mm, gain some publicity for aew but it also gives free publicity also to impact wrestling but now aew wrestlers wrestlers is now looking for impact wrestling tag team gold and that's basically what this segment was about Private Party came out with Matt Hardy, and Matt Hardy is supposedly now the character of a scummy promoter. He takes uh, percentages from Private Party's uh, appearances on anything, and he basically tells the Good Brothers that he is the reason a couple years ago why Impact is still around, Impact is still in business, and that he wants his group to go against them for the Impact Tag Team titles. Chris Saban and James Storm jump in front of Private Party and tell them, nah, you boys, this was not a this was not a conversation for you guys. This was a private conversation. And he inserted not a private party. Ha, I get the pun. Private party tag name. Ha ha, get it. Um, But Matt Hardy tells the Good Brothers that 
if Private Party beats Chris Saban and James Storm, they could be the tag. They could be the next guys to go against for those tag belts. And the Good Brothers are okay with this. So Matt Hardy calls up Impact. They make the match official, and later in the night, you'll see Private Party going against James Storm and Chris Saban for the number one contendership of the Impact Tag Titles. Rich Swan calls out Moose, and he wants to give Moose an Impact Championship match because Moose attacked Rich after their Hard to Kill match. He did tell Rich Swan in Hard to Kill that even though I don't like you, I have been on football teams with people that I didn't like, but we have invaders trying to come over to our company, and I will be your tag partner tonight. I will be a professional. I will not attack you in the match. And he did keep his word. Throughout that whole hard to kill match, he was defending Impact. He showed up. He showed out, but unfortunately, they did lose. But after it hard to, uh, their match was over in a later segment, Moose attacked Rich Swan and he told him, I did tell you that I wouldn't attack you during the match. And he did keep his promise. So now on Impact, Rich calls out Moose. He wants to give him an Impact Championship match just to get this whole thing done with. And Moose tells Rich, it's not on your time. It's on my time. I don't fight you when you want to. I fight when is when I want to. But then, as soon as he got done saying that, Rishwan says, well, I didn't come out here to talk. So, he starts hitting Moose in the face, so they, those two start to brawl. Rishwan gets the best of Moose, and he ends up hitting Rich, uh, not Rich, Rich ends up hitting Moose in the face with a kick to the face, Drops and he drops Moose, and then he goes to the second rope, hits a Phoenix Splash. That's how they end that segment. Uh, a whole lot of not not too much informational great things happen on Impact, but the only thing that they come out of Impact was the main event, Private Party uh, going against Chris Saban and James Storm. Tony Khan, who is the owner of AEW, and he has been making these uh, infomercials on Impact Wrestling throughout these past, no, throughout a past, this month and last month, he's been promoting AEW, saying, hey, look at AEW on TNT uh, on Wednesdays. We have the best professional wrestling in the world. This company here is not that great, but okay, I'll allow my wrestlers to be on here. I could sign an injunction. I could not have my people here, but why not give some impact, some shine? Why not just allow them to house my guys and let them, my guys be here. Uh, Tony Khan and Jerry Lynn are going to be out in the ringside looking at this tag match happen. The big gist in the big ending of this match was what, by the way, which was a good tag team match. Um, Private Party gets the win because Jerry Lynn is holding Chris Saban while Matt Hardy is talking to the referee. He's distracting the referee from everything else inside the ring. And Chris Saban's on the top rope. Jerry Lynn jumps the guardrail. He holds Chris Saban's foot. And he was holding his foot long enough for Mark Quinn to 
hit um, Chris Saban with a Huna Karata and let Isaiah Cassidy catch Chris Saban into a cutter, and basically, which is basically if you guys were a fan of Diamond Dallas Page or Randy Orton, is their their finishing maneuver is a cutter RKO Diamond Cutter, and their their tag move finish is called Gin and Juice. So they hit Chris Saban with Gin and Juice, and now they are the number one contenders for the Impact Tag Team Championships. Now, on AEW Wednesday night on TNT, it opens up with Dark Order celebrating Brody Lee Jr., negative one, which that's his name that AEW gave him. Negative one, they Dark, uh, Dark Order comes out there with Brody Lee Jr. on uh, Tin's shoulder, and they were singing Happy Birthday. But Chaos Project, who consist of Luther and Serpentico come out there and disrupts it and they get into a fight with Dark Order. Brody Lee Jr. is taken away, make sure nothing happens to the kid. And TH2, which consists of Jack Evans and Angelico, come out to help Chaos Project. TH2 and Chaos Project are the bad guys while Dark Order are the good guys in this. And then while they are brawling around the ring, Adam Page comes out and he jumps on top of everybody that's brawling and he is, uh, he gets up and he, everybody's cheering around the ring. And this is when the match starts. And the match was Dark Order, which consists of Cole Cabana, Alex Reynolds, John Silver, and Adam Page going against Chaos Project and TH2. Dark Order and Adam Page ends up winning the match. And now it's time for Adam Page to make the decision because for weeks now, Dark Order has been trying to recruit Adam Page into the Dark Order and it's been reluctant on Adam Page's um, side if he wanted to join Dark Order or not. So now it's the decision-making time. John Silver gets the mic and he is saying how much he loves Adam Page, how much he's great, happy that Adam Page is around uh, the Dark Order and he wants him to be a part of the Dark Order. And as soon as Adam Page is about to say no, and the confetti blasts off and they quickly go to a graphic that says he said yes and but Adam Page says as soon as the graphic hits he said yes Adam Page says uh, uh with a soft no and a sad I can't I I declined the offer and they had to kick the guys that were supposed to come out as a uh, celebrating dancers they kicked those guys out the way and now everybody's just so shocked and confused how Adam Page said no for all this time and Adam Page explained that I did the group thing. It didn't end well for me. But I do wish you guys good luck. But I don't. I, I can't join. So that left Dark Order confused. And left the announcers confused. Funny, funnily. But nevertheless. That's what happened with that. The next thing that happened on AEW was Sting and Darby Allin. Were in the ring and Sting was congratulating Darby Allen for his win over Brian Cage last week to retain his 
TNT Championship. And as Sting was congratulating Darby Allen, Taz and Team Taz interrupt them on the on the screen. A video of Team Taz and Taz, and Taz is basically saying how Darby Allen and Sting were playing dirty last week. They cheated. And how they're not from the street. While Team Taz, they're from the street. They play by completely different rules. They were trying to be nice guys. But now, they're ready to fight street level style. So now, they issued a challenge to Sting and Darby Allen To a street fight. Darby Allen and Sting accepted. So at AEW Revolution, their next pay-per-view, it will be Sting... And Darby Allen going against Ricky Starks and Brian Cage of Team Taz in a street fight. The next segment that happened on AEW was they showed a video package of the Young Bucks and Alex Marvez. Alex Marvez is a backstage interviewer showing up at Kenny Omega's house. They're supposed to be meeting Kenny Omega to talk about what happened last week with them not joining together all together as the elite that was the original plan they get into the house they don't see Kenny Omega but Don Callis comes out and Don tells them oh Kenny's not here this is basically a coup that Don Callis set up Don Callis is trying to pay off the young bucks from being Kenny Omega's friend his whole thing is Kenny Omega needs to separate himself from his old friends that have been holding him back and not letting him be the greatest gift to professional wrestling that everybody know he can be. That's the story that they're trying to sell, but the Young Bucks wasn't trying to hear it, so Don Callis tried to pay them off. The Young Bucks declined the payment, and they are now about to beat up Don Callis so the next thing you see is the Young Bucks walking towards Don Callis and you hear Don just start yelling and his, the camera fades to black. So you're being left with the implication that Don Callis got beat up by the Young Bucks. After that segment, uh, the next match was Cody Rhodes versus Peter Avalon. Cody Rhodes hit Peter Avalon with the crossroads. That's Cody's finish. And he didn't pin Peter Avalon because as soon as he hit him with it, he got up, started walking for five seconds, then Jade Cargill's music hit and distracted Cody for about a good couple seconds and the referee. And the referee is still looking at Jade, making sure that she's not going to enter the ring. And Peter Avalon is able to kick Cody in the family jewels. And Peter Avalon starts beating down on Cody. And I'm going to fast forward to the end of the match. The end of the match was Cody ends up beating Peter Avalon by submission because Cody hits uh, Peter Avalon in the figure four leg lock. And as he has been the figure four leg lock, Peter Avalon is in pain, wretched in pain, and he sits up and he slaps Cody Rhodes in the face. Cody gets upset and he's about to hit Peter Avalon in the face. Peter Avalon knows it. He shields his face and he starts tapping out. His whole thing is he doesn't want to get hit in the face. So, there you go. Cody ends up winning by submission. The next thing you uh, happens on AEW was Jungle Boy, 
who is Jack Perry's son, challenges Dax Hardwood to a one-on-one match next week. He's tired of FTR ruining um, the Jurassic Express's time out there in the ring and calling out Marco Stunt, saying he's not this and that. So Jungle Boy is sticking up for his fellow uh, Jurassic Express member. So that's what that whole thing was about. So next week we got Jungle Boy versus Dax Harwood. The next match of the night was John Moxley versus Nick Komorato. Sorry for butchering the name. John Moxley, John Moxley ends up submitting Nick with a sleeper hold, but it was a good match for Nick. It was basically trying to showcase this big guy who's being trained by Dustin Rhodes, who's formerly known as Goldust in the WWE, and a guy named QT Marshall. That's basically what this whole match was for. Was supposed to give John just basically another win under his belt, but showcase this big guy named Nick. The next thing you see is Eddie Kingston backstage with his family being informed that next week he will go against Lance Archer. And Eddie Kingston isn't happy about it, but Lance Archer gets in his face and tells him the next week you're going to get hurt, you're going to get pummeled, your butt belongs to me. And then after that, it goes to commercial. Commercial comes back from commercial. You see Kenny Omega in some new threads. He's going to the backstage. He's going to his locker room. He's trying to show Don Callis his new clothes that he's wearing. But then he sees Don with a black and bruised up eye. And he asks him who gave him that, who did this to him. Don is trying to play hokey pokey. He's not trying to answer it, but he wormingly answers it and says the Bucks didn't mean it and then he said dang it I said it and Kenny looks at him like the Bucks did this to you he's confused but then he sees the camera guy walk in he sees the camera guy and he tells the camera guy is there no peace and quiet and solitude in this whole place anymore and he kicks his camera guy out and that's how that little video thing ends the next match is Matt Seidel in top flight versus Matt Hardy in private party Matt Hardy and Private Party ends up winning this match. And they win by Isaiah Cassidy hitting one member of not Private Party, of Top Flight in the ribs with a steel chair. And he throws it over the guardrail. Private Party is supposed to be a good tag team. Matt Hardy's trying to turn him over to the dark side. And he finally works. He always been telling them to their ear, in their ears, by any means necessary. And he's been grabbing them and really trying to focus and let them know. You need to win by any means necessary. So it finally clicked. And this is whenever uh, that happened. Isaiah Cassidy hits one of the members of Top Flight in the gut. I'm not in the gut, in the rib on the side. He falls down. Mark Quinn ends up going up to the top rope, hitting a shooting star press. It's the one, two, three. After the match, Top Flight is and Mark and Matt Seidel are confused, and they're just looking and they're getting all up in Private Party Party's face. And Private Party looks at Matt Hardy, and Matt Hardy gave them the head nod, and then they start. And Private Party just start beating down uh, Top Flight while Matt Hardy sneak attacks Matt Seidel after the match, and Top Flight. And Matt Seidel eat a twist of fate from Matt Hardy, and it leaves and it and it leaves with 
uh, Matt Hardy and top and not top fight, private party, uh, with a pose over those three guys. Next match was Layla Hirsch versus Penelope Ford. Penelope Ford ends up winning thanks to distraction from her fiance Kip Sabian, who holds uh, Layla Hirsch's feet while she tries to get back into the ring. But as he holds her feet, Penelope Ford is able to big boot, basically kick Layla Hirsch in the face and wins. After the match, Miro, formerly known as Rusev in WWE, calls in Chuck Taylor, who Miro calls Charles Taylor because now Chuck Taylor is now Miro's young boy or butler until the wedding at Beach at beach bat break, sorry, at beach break in two weeks. He is Miro's butler until that time has been served, until that time comes about. He has Chuck Taylor look out into the audience where Orange Cassidy is, and he tells Chuck Taylor to tell, to tell Orange Cassidy that Miro is your new best friend. The fans are booing and booing this and booing. Chuck Taylor doesn't really want to do it. Orange Cassidy gets up out of his chair and he's just looking. And Chuck Taylor says it with, begrudgingly says it, that Miro is his new best friend. Chuck, uh, Chuck Taylor puts down the mic and it shows a camera angle of Orange Cassidy walking away so deflated. Next thing that they show is Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers beating up Penta L Zero M or Pentagon Jr. And now it's now set up for at Beach Break. It will be the Elite, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers versus Pac, Phoenix, and John Moxley. That's more than likely going to be the main event for Beach Break. And throughout these next upcoming week until the other beach break beach yeah beach break we're probably going to see more uh shenanigans more attacks coming just out of the woodwork now it's main event time mjf and chris jericho versus sammy Guevara and jake hager versus ortiz and santana the winner of this match will be the tag team for the inner circle. I don't know for how long, but that's just the uh, uh, winning condition of this whole triple threat tag team match. MJF and Jericho ends up winning the match when MJF rolled Sammy Guevara up with a schoolboy and pulls the tights. It was a good match. I mean, a whole lot of uh, moves flying here and there, left and right. But with a couple of uh, missteps and botches, botches are moves that went wrong during the match that was supposed to be executed this way, but it didn't look that way. It looked sloppy, like Chris Jericho missing a moonsault, but which he calls the lion salt when he runs and he gets the second rope and he tries to hit a backflip. He almost looks like he's about to snap his neck. It looked cringeworthy. It really did. So... I hope he gives up that move, but nevertheless, it was still a good match. And the highlight and the of this match and the real like soul survivor who you really need to look forward to is the Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara was flying and hitting everybody with everything. He was 
going left and right. He was really showcasing that, hey, I'm that guy. Pay me some attention. I'm going to be your next face of AEW. This year is going to be my year. Something big is going to happen for Sammy Guevara in this year of 2021. Mark my words. That was AEW on TNT Wednesday night. Now, let me go back to Monday Night Raw. Uh, the basic big highlights and the basic thing to really pay attention about Raw was Randy Orton is hiding his face. He's wearing a mask that looks uh, reminiscent to Mr. Wrestling number number one. I mean, it looks like Mr. Wrestling number one's mask, but just an all white. Um, display, but nevertheless, Randy talked about how he has to hide his face because he got burnt last week on Monday Night Raw by Alexa Bliss, and he affirms and lets everybody know just because he let got his face burnt, he will be still in the Royal Rumble match. That did, will not stop him from winning the Royal Rumble. Uh, they're still pushing the Flair family storyline because Charlotte Flair had a match with Peyton Royce, and Lacey Evans came out wearing Ric Flair's robe, and Ric Flair came out there to try to distract his own daughter. But Charlotte ends up still winning because she locked in the figure eight on Peyton Royce, and Peyton Royce uh, tapped out. AJ Styles had a great match with Ricochet, and they will always have a great match. They have great chemistry together, but the real thing that got everybody's attention was during this match, during the match, AJ Styles was able to catch Ricochet as he bounced off the ropes, catch him into a Styles Clash position, and able to hit Styles Clash on him. If you Google it or go to Twitter and just look up that, you'll be able to see it. It's a crazy move to try to catch somebody like that, but it looks phenomenal. Huh. Pun. Get it? Phenomenal. Uh, Miz and Morrison had the dirt sheet. They were supposed to have the Miz, not uh, they were supposed to have Goldberg on the show, but they made fun of Goldberg. They had Gilberg, if you remember from the 90s, Goldberg was a big deal, and WWE had Gilberg, who was supposed to be like the parody of Goldberg, uh, small, skinny, old looking man. And he came and he comes back now because the dirt sheet gets him on the show to parody Goldberg. And they also parody Drew McIntyre in this segment by bringing out an actor who isn't Scottish but plays off a Scottish accent. And the whole segment is stupid, but the basically the gist is the Miz is going to cash in maybe at the Royal Rumble to win the WWE Championship either from Goldberg or Drew McIntyre. The Hurt Business beat Lucha House Party and Riddle. The thing about the Hurt Business is that during this whole thing, they were trying to teach Cedric Alexander a lesson. Cedric Alexander has become unruly this past couple weeks. He's been bickering with his tag partner, Shelton Benjamin. They are the Raw Tag Team Champions, while Lashley is the United States Champion. And they are all managed by MVP. So while this match was happening, Cedric was trying to be the hotshot 
up and coming guy say, I got this, blah, blah, blah. And then he would end up getting himself beat down. He tries to stick his hand out to get the tag. And Lashley and Shelton Benjamin will look at him like, no, you got it. Handle it. And Lashley and Shelton would just talk to one another while they're on the apron. And Cedric was able to get some shots in, but majority of the time, he would get his butt kicked. Then Shelton tagged himself in, and he told Cedric to get out of the ring. And Cedric looks at him in disgust as a hot, upshot young guy would do to an old uh, veteran. He gets out of the ring, and he still looks salty about it. Shelton puts a little, he does a little damage. And then he tags in Lashley. Those two work together while Cedric is still on the apron, fuming saltiness. Lashley does a couple moves here and there. He tags in Shelton. Shelton comes in the ring. Cedric tags himself in. He hits. He tags himself from Shelton's back. He tags Shelton the back to get himself in. Shelton and Cedric. Get into a shouting match, blah blah blah, and Shelton tags himself back in. They get into a bigger shouting match, and he Shelton shoves Cedric out of the ring. MVP looks at Shelton Benjamin and Blashley, and Shelton are all looking at Cedric. And MVP looks at him, tells him, "This is what happens. You need to play your part." And he tells him, to "Go back on the apron." Get closer to the end of the match. Uh, Lucha House Party is doing their job, doing their business because they're capitalizing because Hurt Business is getting a little bit dysfunction because of Cedric Alexander. And Lashley ends up tagging himself in, hits a spear on Grand Metalik, and puts him in the Hurt Lock, which is a full Nelson. And Grand Metalik ends up tapping out. After the match, Matt Riddle kicks Lashley in the head and runs out of the ring. And you got Cedric Alexander yelling at Shelton and tell him, hey, this all your fault. That part was your fault. That was all you. Uh, What else happened? In the main event, Alexa Bliss was going against Asuka. Alexa Bliss ends up getting the win because she was able to play great mind games with Asuka. Alexa Bliss has went through a transformation from dealing with The Fiend since last August. She's gone through a whole transformation. She's one with The Fiend. She has is able to communicate with The Fiend. And in the beginning stages of this match, Asuka would beat up Alexa Bliss, but Alexa would keep smiling throughout the beating that she would take. It then arose that some lighting effects happen. Some special effects happen. Lights go out. Lights pop right back on. Alexa Bliss is now in a, like, serious demeanor. Like, you sense something just happened. And Alexa is now um, untouchable. Asuka is trying to hit her. Alexa blocks it. Try to hit her again. Alexa blocks it. Hits her again. Alexa blocks it. Now, this is the fourth time she tries to hit her and she kicks her and spinning kicks her in the gut. Alexa doesn't block that. She gets kicked in the gut. She takes it. But now you start seeing Alexa Bliss start hitting some offense on her hit. Asuka with some offense. uh, 
kick here, a punch here, a slam here. Now, Asuka's recovering from it. Hit, 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 hit. And now she throws Alexa Bliss into the corner. Alexa Bliss does some type of freaky back bend. What Bray Wyatt, a.k.a. The Fiend, used to do. And it freaks out Alexa Bliss. Not Alexa, but it freaks out Asuka. And Asuka ends up just gets defeated by her own mind because Alexa was able to play games and mind games with Asuka. So she ends up hitting Asuka with Sister Abigail, which is Bray Wyatt's old finish, and gets the pin of one, two, three. So Raw was, and if I had to give her a grading average, I'd give it like a C. You didn't really miss Raw. You got my highlights, so that saved you a good three hours worth of watching television when you could have watched something else. Now down to their developmental, their third brand, NXT. The first match was Leon Ruff and Kushida versus Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory. It was a great tag match for his opening bout, but Kushida ends up pinning Johnny Gargano. Kushida and Gargano are having a feud, and Gargano is their North American champion. So it's leading to Kushida going against Gargano later. And I forgot to mention, this is a qualifying match in the Dusty Tag Team Cup. So Leon Ruff and Kushida advances to the next round. Then a video package of Pete Dunne, and he's talking about how he wants to face Finn Balor, how Finn Balor is the face of European wrestling. But now Pete Dunne is here. He wants to take the crown off of Finn Balor. He wants to beat Finn Balor and be now the face of European wrestling and also the NXT champion. The next match is Karrion Cross versus Ashanti the Adonis. This is a quick match. Karrion Cross beats Ashanti the Adonis by pinfall. He hits him with two Sayato suplexes, which basically are back suplexes, but it rakes to hitting a sideways, which makes it the receiver of that move land on their shoulders and neck and it looks dangerous so he does that twice and then as Ashanti is getting up Cross hits him with a running forearm to the back of the neck he pins him after that and then after the match Cross puts Ashanti's partner who was out there as a manager just to watch his back in a rear naked choke and the referees are trying to get him off of him, and that ends up happening. Then the next thing you see is a video package of MSK. MSK is Wesley and Nash Carter, who are the former Desmond uh, Xavier and Zachary Wentz from Impact Wrestling, the Rascals, who now got signed to NXT, who had their uh, Dusty Tag Team Classic uh, tournament match last week, their advanced match last week. It's basically just giving you highlights of who they are. The next match was Lucha House Party versus Imperium in a uh, advancement match of the Dusty Tag Cup. Lucha House Party wins by pins fall after Lindsay Dorado hits Marcel Bartel with a shooting star press. After the match, you see Imperium walking up the ramp, but as soon as they look up the ramp, you see a member of Imperium that was 
in the UK whenever this whole COVID-19 business was happening. Alexander Wolf, he's now back in NXT America version on the ramp and he hits their standard pose, the uh, sl- their salute and Bartel and his partner hit the salute back to him and we're now left at home as the fans wondering what is this all about. They After that, they show a video package of Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher having a weigh-in earlier, which was really nothing. After that, they go to commercial break, come back. They introduce the women's version of the Dusty Tag Team Classic. In the first match is Casey Catanzaro, I'm, I'm sorry I butchered that name, and Kaden Carter versus Mercedes Martinez and Tony Storm. What this whole story was is that Casey and Kaden are the underdogs, while Mercedes Martinez and Tony Storm are the veterans. They've been wrestling for some time now, and they are the they're they're looking to win. That's who people she see in this match that should win. But what ends up happening is Casey and Kaden end up winning. The underdogs end up winning because Io Shirai, the NXT Women's Champion takes out Mercedes Martinez as a payback from two or three weeks ago after Mercedes took out Io Shirai. And when that happened, that left Tony Storm by herself. And Casey Carter was able to hit a Phoenix Splash, but a Phoenix Splash usually ends with a 450 style, but instead of that, ends with a back senton for the win. Google it. No, not Google it. Go to YouTube. And look up Casey and Caden versus Mercedes and Tony Storm. You'll see it somewhere on YouTube, that finish of the match, and you'll see the move. It looks crazy. It just looks not normal that she was able to pull this off. She was a, a former American Ninja Warrior contestant, so that should tell you something. Like I said, just look it up. It's a great finish. I like it. The next thing you see is Finn Balor talking to William Regal. He tells him that he wants Pete Dunne. But first, before he get to Pete Dunne, he knows he got to go through Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch because if he doesn't, those two are going to come after him and hurt him because those two are the buddies of Pete Dunne. Regal tells him, you know you have to find a person, you know you have to find a partner first before I can give you them. Finn tells him, I don't have partners you know that i don't have friends around this place my friends are gone william regal tells them keep your friends close but your enemies closer so that gives you a hint where he's going the next thing that happens was bronson reed versus tyler rust whose manager is malcolm bivens winner in the match bronson reed after he pins uh tyler (laughs) After hitting him with a tie tsunami. And that's basically a top rope body splash. Bronson Reed is a thick guy, so he's so whatever a bigger person ends up jumping off of a top rope and just landing on you, it's going to hurt worse. So that's why that was the ending of that match. It after the match, it shows Finn Balor walking into the Undisputed Era's locker room. He goes up to Kyle O'Reilly and tells him that he wants him to be his partner next week. 
and Kyle O'Reilly is not answering him. Finn Balor tells him, is he a coward or is he going to be a man? Is he going to accept my invitation as a tag partner or what? Kyle O'Reilly ends up accepting him. So next week you have Kyle O'Reilly and Finn Balor versus Danny Birch and Orly Lorcan. The next thing that happens on NXT was Santos Escobar, who's the Cruiserweight champion, coming out with his men, uh, Legado Del Fantasma. And he comes out and says he's the best champion on NXT, how every other champion that was the NXT like big champion have been losers on their first defense. He listed off some of them how they won. Finn Balor cracked his jaw. Karrion Cross, he had to relinquish the belt after he dislocated his shoulder. And how Johnny Gargano couldn't even retain his championship when he was the NXT champion after his first defense. He's able to say all these type of things because he's able to, he has defended his NXT Cruiserweight champion and he showed that he was a dominant champion more than their big leagued NXT regular champion. So now... Uh, he's doing all this prancing around. I'm so good. I'm so good. Lucha House Party interrupts him, and Kurt Stallion ends up interrupting him. They get into a big brawl, and now it's set up for next week. Santo Escobar versus Kurt Stallion for the Cruiserweight title. Now, the main event of NXT was a rivalry match that pitted Timothy Thatcher versus Tommaso Ciampa in fight pit. Fight Pit is WWE's pseudo version of a UFC style thing. It's basically a cage pressed up against the ring, but the ring has no ropes. You start out on the top of the cage on a platform, and usually they drop down into the ring to basically end the match. And the only way you get in the match is by knockout, and that's basically you can't get up by the count of 10 or submission. You get the UFC fight feel whenever they do the introductions. When they introduce them, they walk up, they get patted down their arms, their thighs, their little feet. And then they walk around to the, their one side and the other side. And then they do ring, then the bell dings off. Anyway, the match was brutal, no blood, but... They were ramming each other into this steel cage. They were doing everything they could do just to maintain the brutality and the idea of what Fight Pit is supposed to be. Ending of the match was Tommaso Ciampa gets himself stuck in between the cage. His leg gets stuck in between the cage. And uh, Timothy Thatcher is able to hit Tommaso Ciampa with a stretch muffler. That's basically putting his opponent putting Tommaso Ciampa's leg around his neck and just cranking it and just holding it like you're uh, squeezing down on it. It hurts. It's, it looks, it looked, it looked brutal and it, <laughs> it looked like it hurt. That's all I can basically say for that. Thatcher ends up winning. After the match, you see Thatcher and Tommaso look at one another and you can tell that they have a mutual respect for one another that they're going through this war. And it sets up something later down the line. Because after NXT 
was done. You go hours later on their YouTube page, you see a video of Timothy Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa being informed that they will take the place of Adrian Adonis and his tag partner in the Dusty Road Tag Team Classic because Adrian Adonis and his partner aren't able to recover after the beatdown they received from Karrion Cross early in the night. So it will now be Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher taking the place of uh, Ashanti uh, Adonis and his partner. Now we get to Friday Night Smackdown. Big Smackdown, as I like to call it, because Smackdown has been killing it for WWE. And if you haven't been paying attention to Smackdown... I promise you, if you look at SmackDown, you at least will find something in it that you will enjoy, even if you don't like professional wrestling. By the way, uh, SmackDown is on Fox. And Fox was able to actually air all of SmackDown this week, unlike all the other past weeks that they will be clipping and cutting it right at the ending of SmackDown. You wouldn't have to you wouldn't get to see the all of the complete ending of SmackDown. They always like cut it short. But this week they actually did do it all full the whole the whole full episode. You actually got to see it. So thank you to Fox for that for this week. Um it started out with Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman in the ring. Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman talking about how Adam Pierce uh and Kevin Owens outsmarted them, but they are above being outsmarted, that's beneath them, and how Adam Pierce is ducking a butt kicking from Roman because you got your ankle or your knee hurt. Roman Reigns mocks him by saying, I have my legs hurt, my arms hurt, my ankles haven't been good since college. He starts going down the whole ring of lists about how he hurts this and that. Adam Pierce comes out and he says that that's enough. I've heard enough. A, there's no more I can do. You signed a contract. That's what's happening. You're going against Kevin Owens. Last man standing match at Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns basically tells Adam Pierce, you are Kevin Owens' lapdog. And if you're Kevin Owens' lapdog, you for sure are my lap dog because I run SmackDown. Kevin Owens won't be here tonight. He informs that to the fans out there. So Roman Reigns then pays more attention back to Adam Pearce and he tells him, I hurt so much for carrying this company for so many years. And you only hurt for your, your knee hurt, but you haven't wrestled in six years. And he says, you wrestle all these years, and now you haven't wrestled in six years, and this is the reason why you weren't signed by WWE. Paul Heyman and Roman are smiling. Well, Roman's smiling. Paul Heyman is laughing about it, and he tells Pierce, you got to admit, that was a good one. And Pierce is not happy about that at all. He looks at... Paul Heyman, he tells him, I could take this abuse from Roman because he's actually done this stuff. He's wrestled and everything else. I could take that abuse from him, but I'm not going to take that from you. Paul Heyman grabs the mic from Roman because Roman tells him, Paul, he's disrespecting you. And if he's disrespecting you, he's disrespecting me. You need to handle this. 
He hands the mic off to Paul. Paul tells Adam Pierce that you must really buy into the hype of what I present to these people. Just because I present myself in one way, that doesn't mean I am that way. I am from New York. I will knock your butt out. And he tells him, you want a big blockbuster main event for SmackDown? I got one for you. It will be Adam Pierce versus Paul Heyman. And you're going to get your butt kicked tonight. He hands the mic. No, no, he doesn't hand it. He throw, He tosses it out of the ring. And Roman Reigns gets in Adam Pierce's face. And Roman tells Pierce, point blank, by the end of tonight, you're going to get your butt kicked. That's not a prediction. That's a spoiler. Believe that. So now Pierce is, has a worried look on his face while Roman and Paul are walking to the back. The first match of the night begins. It's the Riot Squad versus Asuka and Charlotte. The Riot Squad is Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot, and Billy Kay is out there to manage them. Asuka and Charlotte end up winning because Ruby Riot gets hit with a kick to the face by Asuka in a natural selection. It's about a good seven or eight minute tag match. It was a right tag match. And they lose because Billy Kay was distracting the ref earlier and Ruby could have won earlier. But Billy Kay was just being naive. So there you go. They end up losing because Charlotte hits. Ruby Riot with a natural selection. And that's it. Dan Bryan comes out later <laughs> after this, after the commercial. Dan Bryan comes out to the ring and he's talking up the Royal Rumble, how he can't wait to be in the Royal Rumble, how he's never won a Royal Rumble or Battle Royal. So this is his on his top to-do list so he can main event WrestleMania. Cesaro comes out and tells him he's going to win WrestleMania. He tells him that you're not that good. He's speaking from the first man that won the f- first annual Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which was Cesaro. Cesaro's telling Daniel, he is not going to win. Cesaro is going to win. Cesaro is going to main event WrestleMania. And that nobody in that back has as much endurance as me. So he makes an open challenge. He states that anybody that is eligible in the back to eligible in the Royal Rumble, I missed an open challenge. You come out and fight me. Dolph Ziggler, who is one half of the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, comes out and accepts that challenge. So now you have Dolph Ziggler versus Cesaro. They had a great little match. They had a great little match. They were reversing everything. They were doing amateur wrestling stuff first, and then they get into their whole dropkick, upper European uppercut. Cesaro swings uh, Dolph Ziggler around. For about a good 30 seconds. I mean. Just look up Cesaro's swing on YouTube. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. He has great feats of strength. Cesaro ends up winning the match. When he catches Dolph. Because he's trying to hit a famous sir. But he ends up catching him in the powerbomb position. And he ends up turning it into the neutralizer. And the neutralizer is basically a pile driver. But his hands are crossed together. Like a Jerry Lynn pile driver. But he... Uh, face drops him first like he's going for the Styles Clash. Just look it up. You'll see what I'm talking about. That's how he wins. The next match 
that happens with Sasha Banks versus Reginald, who is the butler or the wine guy for Carmella. And this is basically setting it up for Sasha Banks told Carmella last week that Carmella will get her rematch against Sasha Banks at the Royal Rumble if she gets Reginald first. So now here we go. Sasha Banks versus Reginald. Reginald is able to <laughs> reverse everything Sasha Banks is doing to him, but he's able to do it with such style and finesse that it looks so effortlessly. So that tells you he has some acrobatics experience in his past time before he got to WWE. I didn't look into what he used to do. But if you see just a little bit of this match, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He's able to hit backflips. He's able to hit some stuff that I haven't seen even professional wrestlers hit that have been in the business or even these young guys. The, the way he's able to move out of these things. Like I said, just look up Reginald versus Sasha Banks on YouTube. Somebody has it somewhere. Even the WWE might have a couple clips of it. Just look it up. You'll see it. He's able to do certain things. It's just great. But Sasha Banks ends up making him tap out in the bank statement. So now, still, you got Sasha Banks versus Carmella at the Royal Mobile. But Sasha Banks was able to get her hands on Reginald. The next thing that happens, Big E versus uh, Apollo Crews for the Intercontinental Championship. Apollo Crews ends up getting the win by DQ because Sami Zayn interferes in the match. Sami Zayn hits Apollo Crews with a halluva kick in one corner. The referee sees it. He rings off the bell. And then Big E's in the other corner. And Sami hits Big E with a halluva kick. And he's yelling in Big E's face, that's justice. That's justice. So it's setting up more than likely probably at the Royal Rumble uh, triple threat for the Intercontinental Championship match. That's just my prediction. Uh, Sami Zayn versus Big E versus Apollo Crews. Uh, the next thing happens, a video package of Kevin Owens plays. He talks about the gist of it is that he really fights for his family. He lists off the tattoos that he has on his body. He tells them that these tattoos that I have on my body, each piece means something. And then he reads off what his knuckles are. And basically the knuckle tattoos that he have, the lettering are his grandfather's on his mother's side and his father's side basically said that he fights for them because he wishes they could have seen him in the WWE. That's his one wish. He wished they could have seen him. They could, they could have seen him in the WWE and he's upset by that because only a couple years after they were taken from him, he was signed. So he continuously to fight for them. He continues to fight just off the idea that they'll be proud of him, of making it in the WWE. While Roman Reigns has been mentioning family so much, but he doesn't really care about family. That's Kevin Owens' basic intent of this video promo. After that, you see... Street Profits talk to Sonya Deville and they want their rematch for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. She tells them not right now. They have to wait until Montez Ford is healed up 100%. And while in the meantime, she's going to give a whole lot of other tag teams, uh, tag team title opportunities and everything else. So the Street Profits just got to wait until uh, Ford heals up. The next, the next thing that happens after that is Bailey versus Bianca Belair in an obstacle course challenge. Bailey 
is doing the obstacle course. She looks like she's having a hard time doing it. And she ends up doing it in one minute in 12 or 13 seconds. Bianca is able to clear the obstacle course, but before she even gets an attempt to do it, Bailey has the obstacle course upgraded from children's standards to Bianca standards. Bianca used to do track and all these type of things, hurdles. So you got hurdles in there and Bianca flips a 400 pound tire over. She runs, she runs the hurdle. She jumps uh, over the other obstacles that she has to do. She lifts up Otis, who is a 300 pound guy on his shoulders as she walks from one distance to another. And she ends up dunking a basketball over uh, Bailey, crossing her up. Sorry, she crosses up Bailey and hits a dunk. And she beats it with 17 seconds left, flat. After the obstacle course has been announced, the winner of Bianca Belair, Bailey is walking a little bit. She has the ball in her hand. And while Bianca is still celebrating and cheering, Bailey throws the ball directly into into uh, Bianca's gut. And then she starts beating down on Bianca. She throws Bianca's uh, shoulder into the basketball rim. And the basketball rim falls down. Not on Bianca Belair, thank God. And Bianca Belair is there and just writhing in pain, twirling around on the floor, yelling. So that's how they end the gospel course. Uh, Dominic... Mysterio went against Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin beats Dominic after he hits him with the end of days finisher. And now you got the main event. Adam Pierce versus Paul Heyman. Adam Pierce is already in the ring. Paul Heyman walks down. He's trying to walk up those step, steps, stale steps. He gets up to the second step and then he fumbles down. You hear Michael Cole and Corey Graves kind of hit a couple snicker laughs about it. They're snickering and they laugh about it. They then see Paul Heyman try to get up again, walk up on the first step. He ends up falling down again. And then he starts mouthing off the Adam Pierce saying, you know what? You know what? You know what? Card subject to change. He gave Adam Pierce the exact same verbatim words to what Adam Pierce said to Roman and Paul and Jay Uso last week whenever he gave the contract to Kevin Owens. And now it's turning to Roman Reigns versus Adam Pierce because Roman Reigns now is coming out and Adam Pierce is looking petrified in the face. And as soon as Roman Reigns gets into the ring, Roman Reigns hits Adam Pierce with a Superman punch and he just starts beating down Roman Reigns. He throw Roman Reigns out. He throws Adam Pierce, excuse me, out of the uh, ring, and he starts beating down Adam Pierce outside the ring. Adam Pierce is able to get one shot off on Roman. He punches Roman in the face. Roman ends up punching him back, and he ends up beating him down and beating him down. And he starts getting him into a position right where he threw Kevin Owens off of the stage. Like right where all like the viral and visual uh viral fans are. Whenever you look at SmackDown and Raw, you'll see the arena, you'll understand what I'm talking about. The viral stands. He gives him up on the stand. He looks like he's about to do the exact same thing he did to Kevin Owens like three weeks ago. But 
a figure comes out from the shadows and he starts beating down on Kevin Owens and he's in a black hood and everything else. He takes off the hood. You see Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens makes a save for his buddy Adam Pierce. And he actually beats down on Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is able to get some offense on Kevin Owens, but it wasn't enough. Kevin Owens was able to hit Roman with a stunner, a Stone Cold Steve Austin stunner. And he puts the boots to Roman Reigns. And then he does him another stunner. And now Roman Reigns is outside of the ring now. And he's right next to a corner of the barricade. And now he's getting beat down upon by Kevin Owens some more. And Kevin Owens hit Roman Reigns with a stunner. And Roman Reigns did well. He got the stunner and he hit his head back to the barricade. It looked nasty when you look at it. And the referees and officials are out there trying to separate Kevin Owens from doing more damage to Roman. Kevin Owens is playing it like, okay, I'm done, I'm done. And then he swerves out and still puts the boots to Roman. And he gets Roman over to the announce table and he pop up power bombs Roman through the announce table. And he wants to do more damage. He looks like he's about to get the steel steps and just spike Roman with the steel steps. But the referees and the uh, officials in the back come out to stop Kevin Owens before he does it. And Kevin Owens tells Roman, you're lucky that the officials are here because if they weren't, you would have been done. So that was in the SmackDown. Like I said, SmackDown had much more uh, impactful things than everything else throughout the rest of the week of professional wrestling. So I give SmackDown my biggest grade. I give AEW the second biggest. I give uh, Impact like my third and AE, not AEW, but uh, NXT the fourth and Raw dead last. Raw has been lacking. I mean, just straight up lacking for some time. I hope they pick it up this next coming week, this go-home Raw for the Royal Rumble. And I hope they pick it up the Raw after the Royal Rumble because that lets everybody know that's a wrestling fan. Okay, who's going to the main event? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? This sets it up, the building blocks for, okay, this is what you should anticipate for Raw and SmackDown and everything else after the Royal Rumble this upcoming week. So, if I can't wait to see it, I know other wrestling fans can't wait to see it. And that's that for the wrestling uh, side of this episode. And before I get out of here, and before I hit you with the inquiring minds of this episode, let me label off the food I forgot. Today is peanut butter day. And lobster through murder day. I'm sorry for butchering that, but I have no idea what that is. The 25th will be Irish coffee day. The 26th will be peanut butter brittle day. The 27th will be chocolate cake day. The 28th will be blueberry pancake day. The 29th will be corn chip day. And the 30th will be croissant day. Now, inquiring minds. What will the Biden administration lead for Americans? What do we expect out of the Biden administration? What I 
think that the Biden administration need to do is they need to, in their first 100 days, show the American people, okay, this is the plan. This is what I want to conquer. I want to give you guys a bigger stimulus uh, check for college students now to finally get it. I want uh, my American people to get the um, vaccine, not just people that are frail or that or old they could get it like first no you anybody can get it anybody can desperate anybody that desperately needs it can get it so they can at least try to feel back to normalcy so that's what needs to happen me even though i'm not taking the vaccine even though i'm going to be home chilling out you guys can get the vaccine first and let me know how it feels for you i personally yet again I am not going to jump myself in there into the shark tank to go in and get the vaccine. That's not me. But I do believe that the vaccine is going to do well for a couple people. They might not feel some symptoms and some people might will. You just need a couple guinea pigs. So if you're if you're willing to be the guinea pig, that's cool with you. That's just what it is. But the first 100 days, because that's what everybody looks at in the in a president's reign. You're willing you're, you're trying to see what they're going to do. So in their first 100 days, just throw out a plan. Throw out a plan that will suit every American from the poorest of poor to the middle class to the high class. Even though you, everything won't get done, you at least showed us you have a plan. This is your plan. And at least in this first 100 days, try to at least knock out a good five of those things on that list. Five. You might have 20 things on the list. If you get five, you got one-fourth. We all know how hard government is to get something passed. So if you at least get five out, I'll at least say that's a good 60%. I'll at least give you guys, I'll at least give you that. People will say, Joe, but that's 25% out of 20 things. Yes, I could do simple math, but I'm talking about in succession rate. Five things out of a 20 list thing of 100 days, and you know you're going to have callbacks and people are not going to like try because people are just going to still try to say, uh, push their agenda of this or that, blah, blah, blah. Yo, if you can get five out of the 20, out of how hard government truly is, and we all know how hard government is, you did something right. I'm just going to leave it at that. So give out a good plan that every American can see. Make it easy for every American can actually read. Don't try to put big old words that people got to dive into dictionaries, stop with their reading, dive into a dictionary because a whole lot of them do that so much. They try to keep us out. Ha, uh, see, I'm learning something right there. Why and hold. Um, <laughs> they try to keep us out. So I would like them to have much more easier words in that, in their writing for us, for the American people. So you can at least throw that back to them and say, hey, this is what you had. This is what we're expecting. This is what you were trying to promise us in these first 100 days. So that whenever those first 100 days are done with, and at least five of them are done, hey, you can trail back to them and say, okay, hey, you said about this. Try to get this done. So we can hold our state and government and legal and our presidential uh, faces uh, responsible. That's what I want. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for the American people. That's what I want for everybody. I want them to make things easier for us to read. So we won't constantly have to go back into uh, 
uh, what's the word? Dictionary. By God. So we wanted to go and look into a dictionary. So like I said, that's what I'm hoping for for these first 100 days. I hope the Biden administration does well. We'll have to see. We got to deal with it for the next four years. I don't have so much trust in government. I never have, but we shall see. But until then, this is not farewell. This is until you hear this voice again. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll see you guys all next week. And next week will be the first episode of my list of episodes for the list of February of Black History Month. You guys will be getting lessons. So I'm going to be doing some knowledge. I'm going to be dropping some knowledge on you guys. So you guys can at least learn something. And for anybody that is a black person that knows this type of stuff, you guys are just going to get a refresher course. And for any black person that's forgotten some of these stuff, you're just going to get a refresher course. Like I said. But anyway, until then, I love you guys. I love you guys. This isn't goodbye. This is until you hear this voice again. I'm out. Peace. This has been my two cents podcast presented by G2. I love you guys. Peace out.